Welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, with our new intro song still playing in the background. You are listening to episode 141 on January 25th, 2024. Fun Police Season 2, Episode 1 is out next week on Wednesday, so do subscribe and click the notification bell so you never miss a new episode. I'm going solo this week, no guests this week, because all the efforts are focused on the second season of our first ever podcast series, but I do have these news stories for you. The farmer protests in Germany have swept over to France, with thousands of tractors disrupting traffic and spraying manure on government buildings to protest high taxes, high electricity prices, and over-regulation. I've talked about this in many news outlets. Uh, recently, I've been on Fox News and uh, Sky News Australia had me on. And, uh, you know, you can find some of those audios on the Consumer Choice Cast, uh, which is uh, our podcast channel dedicated to all of our audio content. I was on a radio station in Indiana not too long ago, so you can listen on that. I was also on the Federalist Radio Hour with Emily Yashinsky. That was about an hour of conversation. A uh, very, uh, very deep dive into some of the and some of the reasons that I would identify for for the upset of farmers. And um, now French farmers have moved on to Brussels to protest the European Union. And France 24 has the story. Here in France, farmers are blocking roads across the country, protesting against low wages and what they believe to be excessive regulation. In fact, farmers across the continent are struggling with increased operating costs, and many are gathering today in front of the European Parliament in Brussels. The aim is to denounce what they see as the growing constraints imposed by European laws, Gael Fonseca and Clovis Casali met distraught farmers in Brussels. They've chosen to gather outside the European Parliament to show their strong opposition to policies decided by Brussels. Uh, farmers, dozens of them here, uh, saying that there's too many EU rules, too much bureaucracy, and that the Green Deal is bad and threatening their, their existence. Their survival is at stake, they say. These French farmers are telling us also that electricity and gas prices are too high and so are labor taxes, and therefore they can no longer make ends meet. These French farmers have representatives who will be meeting with EU uh, MPs uh, this afternoon in an attempt to try to uh, change the uh, common agricultural policy or at least voice their concerns. These French farmers have been joined by a few from Belgium and others from Italy. Uh, this uh, rally is, of course, echoing the many uh, demonstrations, protests across Europe, notably in France. This only a few months before a crucial uh, European uh, ballot uh, with uh, populist uh, movements uh, tipped to win in some countries, possibly in France. And so in the last few weeks, I've dealt with a lot of arguments about subsidization. Are the farmers only trying to get benefits from taxpayers? Uh, and I just don't see it that way. I mean, if you look at sort of the, the, the setup of the, uh, the diesel taxes and the agricultural vehicle taxes, uh, there is a rebate, but essentially for many European countries, th those taxes were never levied on those products in the first place. 
Um, and a tax break to me is not a subsidy. It's the government not taking your money away is not is not a subsidy. Um, instead, a lot of the people who pay you know well over half of their liter of diesel uh, going to tax, they should be upset at that rather than being upset at the farmers. So the the the, the budget consolidation politics of it all often relies on the idea that you can essentially just tell people be mad at each other as opposed to being mad at the bad budget management of the government and because then we end up sort of hating each other based on the impression that we have that we took money from each other when actually it was the government that mismanaged those funds overtaxed overregulated and also and i think in the case of farmers it's important to note that it's not that they're just being subsidized to direct payments. I mean, these are subsidies. But also that they're hampered by regulation. Now, do those two offset each other? We can't know until we wean off farmers in Europe of both subsidies and the overbearing regulation. And I mean, I can give you examples. I mean, just take the, the set-aside policy. This is where farmers have to set aside a certain part of their farmland in order to not have overproduction of certain things which is all very strange because some eu member states will have set aside policies for farmers but then also import products from abroad not necessarily because the consumers want those imported products but because there's not enough supply on the market it should be up to farmers to decide whether they want to use set aside or not but it is eu policy now the finance minister christian lindner he was speaking at a farmers protest uh, recently in berlin and he said that the german government is also reconsidering the set aside policy but that is eu policy that means that germany will have to go through a lengthy process to get that changed because it's tied to the common agricultural policy it's tied to a lot of eu countries that you know sometimes think that it's valuable policy but it is a restriction that is sort of a centrally planned organization of agriculture as opposed to farmers deciding to respond to market incentives, to respond to what the retailers want. Some of the protests have also not been managed very well. I mean, some farmers have destroyed property, blocked roads excessively. Uh, I don't think that's good. I think if we criticize it on the climate change protesters side, we also need to criticize it on the farmers protest side. What I've said in the interviews is that in Germany, the farmers always left space for emergency vehicles. I think that's a good sign. But in France, you also see them trashing supermarkets because they're angry at retailers, angry at McDonald's. Uh, I don't think that's conductive of a productive conversation. And it doesn't really make any point that somebody who works in a cleaning service for a supermarket will have to clean up manure. I think if you do it for a government building, Still, somebody will have to clean that up who is not the prime minister, obviously. But it sends a different signal than if you do it for a franchised fast food restaurant. I just, I just don't, I don't see the value in the latter. I see the value in the former, I don't see the value in the latter. Next up, how bad is the traffic in your city? In the TomTom Traffic Index 2023, the uh, GPS producing company is looking at the worst cities worldwide to get around by car. And the results are in. London remains the most congested city in the world, where an average travel time for 10 kilometer distance will take 37 minutes, over 37 minutes, and an average speed of just 14 kilometers per hour. You might as well walk. 
London is followed by Dublin at 29 minutes and a half for a 10-kilometer trip and an average of 16 kilometers per hour on speed. Commuters in London and Dublin lose over 150 hours per year being stuck in traffic. In that top five ranking, we also have the cities of Toronto, Milan and Lima, the capital of Peru. A few good news, as a couple of cities have improved their situation with traffic in 2023, the cities of Frankfurt, Budapest and Vienna all have reduced their travel times by 30 seconds for a 10-kilometer trip. The entire ranking can be found in the show notes of this episode. And if you are stuck in traffic, of course, make sure you listen to one of our many podcasts on the road. Uh, this one, of course, uh, weekly on Thursdays. And we have the Consumer Choice Podcast with Yalosowski and David Clement, as well as our podcast series, Fun Police. Uh, I keep mentioning it because you should listen to it. Next up, high-speed rail in Portugal is on the move. As the Portuguese government has been announcing for some time, the tenders are now out to get the Portuguese high-speed rail network on track, pun intended. By next year already, the government plans to finish phase one of improving the rail connection between Porto and Lisbon, Portugal's busiest cities. Phase one includes the line from Porto to Aveiro and Coimbra. Phase two will then add Leira in 2027. And by 2030, the rail line Porto to Lisbon should only take one hour and 15 minutes. I think it's about three and a half hours currently on the uh, CP state-owned uh, 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 railway company. Portuguese Prime Minister Antonio Costa, who is currently in hot waters over corruption allegations and is facing elections in March, uh, said that the government is looking for a 10 billion euro investment through a public-private partnership and will include 70 kilometers Porto to Oia. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, the, the, that section of the line, uh, which features 11.6 kilometers of tunnels, 9.5 kilometers of bridges and 2.8 kilometers of viaducts. See, I'm no fan of misplaced optimism here, honestly, because it is much better to give a sort of realistic timeline, uh, actually, to complete these renovations. I don't see it happening by next year. And when I think of all the things that go wrong when it's done wrong, it might very well be a better task for the incoming government, whatever that may look like in Portugal after the election, which is something that we will want to cover uh, a bit more as we approach uh, that election uh, campaign in Portugal. Actually, quite a few elections happening this year, major elections. It's a big election year in 2024. I mean, we have the European elections. We're going to be talking about that quite a bit also. Um, but yeah, in any case, thank you so much for listening. Sorry for just uh, having a, a solo episode this week, uh, but I will see you Thursday. <laughs>